So Exodus chapter 3 and 4. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush was on um, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, "Here I am." Do not, cons- uh, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this moment, uh, at this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at him. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to um, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to, to you that, I, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent, uh, sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of the misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards his people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. 
Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff into his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put it back into his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may, um, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become like blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past or, neither you, or, past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and will, um, will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hands so you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who want to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, back to, um, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that, um, that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she, had, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and also about all the signs he commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery... They bowed down and worshipped him. Father God, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. 
Thank you that it speaks to us. And I pray now that as Kenny comes to speak to us, that you'd be with him, that your spirit um, would be with him, and he would um, just have confidence in what he is saying because it's truth that has come from you. We pray that we would have um, ears that are willing to listen and hearts that desire to change. change. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. We'll try that again. Good morning. morning. You you can talk with a mask on, I think. It's all right. Yeah, what a a privilege, what a journey we're uh, we're setting upon as as we go through uh, the book of Exodus. And just a couple of reminders that as we... Uh, as we approach the Bible, uh, we want to remember it's, it's one continuous story, isn't it? And so from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there, there's just, just really one overarching story in the Bible, and that is the story of redemption, of God redeeming a people for himself. And so um, look, we need to remember that. Um, but then within that overarching story of God redeeming a people for himself, There are themes all throughout the scripture. And this theme of Exodus and the event of Exodus is, is in my opinion, uh, could be the most significant theme in all of the Bible. To really understand the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, the, the Exodus event is critical. In fact, in, uh, in the ESV translation, which is the church Bibles that we usually have out on the tables, uh, in the ESV translation, the word Egypt is in there 645 times. 645 times the word Egypt is in the ESV. And, and over 90% of those mentioning of Egypt have to do with the Exodus. And so it's that important um, and so if you would have asked a Jewish person in that time, um, uh, who is God? Who is God? The answer would always be, he is Yahweh, the one who delivered us out of Egypt. And if you were to say, well, who, who are you? Who are the Hebrew people? They would say, we are the people delivered by God out of Egypt. Their identity was, was wrapped in um, God delivering them out of slavery. And their very understanding of who God is, is wrapped in uh, this idea of being delivered out of slavery. And so we see that in the Passover meal then. And so we see Jesus uh, taking the Passover, affirming that sense of uh, exodus, of being delivered. In fact, um, if you remember the transfiguration... When Jesus uh, takes uh, Peter, James, and John, and if you remember the story, they go up on a mountain, and, um, and uh, Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus. Do you remember that? And it says that all of a sudden Jesus is, appears white, like his clothing, like whiter than could be bleached, one of the gospels says. And uh, I love Peter's response. Peter's like, Jesus, it's good we're here. We ought to just camp. Let's put tents right here and camp out. Well, it's very interesting. Uh, in the gospel of Luke, in Luke's account, Luke chapter 9, you have uh, Jesus there. And Jesus is speaking to Moses and Elijah and uh, it's one of my favorite uh, little nuggets in the New Testament. And it's in verse 30, in Luke 9, verse 30. And he says that Jesus is speaking to Moses, and he's telling Moses about what he's about to do in Jerusalem, right? This is, Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem and be crucified, right? 
And the Greek word he uses there with Moses is the word exodus. It's the word exodus. And I just, oh, I wish I could have heard that conversation. Because here you have Moses who led the exodus of God's people in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. And now you have Jesus who's about to lead uh, people in, out of slavery and an exodus into the New Covenant. And, and here is Jesus, and I just, you know, I just imagine in my mind, you know, Jesus saying, hey, do you remember when you, you know, led the people out and, and I helped you and we parted the Red Sea and all those things? And then he says, I'm about to do something just like that in Jerusalem, and I'm going to do another exodus, but it's going to be to deliver people, not from slavery to a political system or a political leader, but out of slavery to sin and hell and death and bondage. Isn't that amazing? I mean, like Jesus and Moses talking about their exodus experiences. And so uh, this idea of exodus is critical to understanding the people of God and I think understanding the work uh, of Jesus. And so uh, we come then to Exodus uh, 3 and 4, chapters 3 and 4. And so there's a lot here uh, that we're going to kind of try to condense and just maybe uh, summarize in some big ideas. And so let me pray for us. We're going to ask the Lord again to help us do that. And then we'll spend just a few minutes looking at these two chapters. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we love you and we thank you for your word. And Jesus, we uh, thank you that you are still the one who sets the captives free. And Jesus, we know that um, there are still people today who are literally in slavery, even here in the UK, in sex trafficking and, and all sorts of things. And so we know there's literally still a need for people to be delivered out of slavery. But then, Lord, we know that each of us um, are born into bondage to sin. And we thank you that, Jesus, you paid the price that we might be set free, that we might also experience an exodus from slavery into freedom. Your word says, Jesus, that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so as we come to your word, we just pray in these next few moments, Lord, it's a lot to digest. And so, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would open our minds and give us understanding. Uh, we pray, Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that we would be changed by your word. Uh, speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. What an amazing passage of Scripture. What an amazing account of, of God calling Moses uh, to this incredible task, to this incredible job. And uh, I just want us to take a few moments and look at it because I think it's, it's one of the most powerful stories in the Bible, but also in some ways one of the more humorous stories in the Bible is, is like you're talking to a burning bush and I love the way Moses is like, oh, pardon me, Lord. Like he's using good manners, you know, like pardon me. But have you thought about this, Lord? And I'm like, man, you're talking to a burning bush, you know. Uh, it, it's, it's like mind-blowing stuff. And so I'm happy to just say uh, um, this doesn't happen every day, which I'm glad because it would freak everybody out. Amen. So I'm glad it is, this is not a regular thing here. And so there's a lot going on. So um, let's see how it applies to you and I as people who love and follow Jesus. All right, we'll see three simple truths. Here's number one. We see this, that as followers of Jesus, God calls each of us to a heavenly task. As followers of Jesus, God calls each of us to a heavenly task. And so uh, we see here uh, in verse, uh, and we're, we're just in chapter 3 first. 
So we see this in chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, he says, uh, the Lord says, So now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so uh, this encounter between God and Moses isn't simply about having an encounter. But, but God says, Moses, I have a job for you. I have a specific task for you. And he says, the task is this. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, I think I would just be quick to confess that probably none of us can appreciate the shock value of this task. Um, because as we, maybe, as we think of the Egyptians, we think in terms of history, Right? We think in terms of, you know, the pyramids and things that have been there for thousands of years. Uh, but you have to remember, in, in this context, when he says go and, and speak to Pharaoh, he's saying, I want you to go and stand toe-to-toe, face-to-face with the most powerful man on the planet Earth. And that would not be an exaggeration. Like, this is the most powerful kingdom on the globe. This is the most powerful man. In fact, the people, the Egyptians, would have considered Pharaoh a deity. They would have worshipped him as God. Right? And so he's saying, I want you, Moses, uh, a shepherd who has run away from Egypt because you're a murderer. Right? So you're like guilty of murder and you're a shepherd in hiding. I want you to go and speak to the most powerful man on the planet in the most powerful city on the planet and tell him what you want him to do. Is that a big task? Everybody say yes. Yes, Yes, that is a big task, right? And so uh, he says go. It is a heavenly task task. And and, and just let me say, heavenly tasks are usually God-sized. Heavenly tasks are usually God-sized. And so if it's the Lord saying, I want you to take part of your money and and give it away, it's usually going to be a really hard to let that go because it's probably going to be really God-sized. If the Lord says, I I want you to begin to spend time with this person and love this person, and and, and they're quite difficult and challenging, it's going to be a God-sized task because he's a big God. Uh, Whenever we receive a heavenly task, it is God-sized. Why? Because if we could do it without God, we would get all the credit. Yeah? If we could do it without God, we would get all the credit. It's it's God-sized because it's a heavenly task. Task And this is a God-sized task. Now, uh, do you and I still receive heavenly tasks today? I would say absolutely. And I think some of them would apply to every person who loves and follows Jesus would apply the same. And then some of them might be very unique to your context. So here's an example um, that, that would apply to everyone who loves and follows Jesus. All right? So this is a heavenly task. If you're here this morning and you say, I love Jesus, I follow him, then you've been given this task. Look what Paul says here. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And here comes the task. And gave you, gave me, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that, Paul? Well, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, 
here's the task, and entrusting to you, to me, to us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, you, me, we, are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through you, through me, through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is a heavenly task. God is saying for every one of us who have been reconciled to God in Christ, for every one of us who are followers of Jesus, we have a heavenly task. We are ambassadors. And as ambassadors, what what is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who is a citizen of, of one country, but they live in another country representing their home country. Did you follow me there? Let me say that again. They're a citizen of one country. But they live in a different country, but they represent their home country. And so um, I've been to the British Embassy in Washington, D.C. I've had to go there before, and I've been to the American Embassy in, uh, in London. I've had to go there before, and both of them are very odd. Because uh, when I went to the American Embassy for the first time, in London, um, we went to get our passports updated, our American passports. And when we went in, the first thing that struck me was in the waiting room, they had TV monitors and baseball was playing on all of them. Uh, baseball was playing on all of them. All the magazines on the tables were all American magazines. Everyone uh, who was working had American accents. And one guy was even, I'm not making this up, eating nachos and cheese. Like, sort of like a bald eagle flying through the waiting room. Like, it was the most bizarre thing. Like, this is like, feels like a little patch of America. Now, you go to the British Embassy in, uh, in Washington, everyone's wearing bowler hats and uh, monocles. And, uh, but, no, it, you know, it really was like the magazines were, were British magazines. They had, uh, is it Twinings? Is that the brand of tea? They had like, they didn't even have the American brand of tea, you snobs. They had like <laughs> Twinings tea. It's the most bizarre thing, right? And so uh, don't miss this. If, if, for those of us who know and love Jesus, we are citizens of heaven. Amen? We are citizens of heaven. But right now, we don't live in heaven. We live on earth. And we represent heaven on earth. And so when people are around us and they spend enough time with us, it should be as if they encounter just a little bit of heaven in our presence. Just a little sliver of heaven. We, we speak differently, we love differently, we forgive differently, we spend our money differently, and for them, it's a little piece of heaven on earth. Now, that's a big task. That's a big task to say, I represent Jesus in Erdington. And it's a big task because I know how messed up my heart is. I know how tempted I am to give in to my own selfishness and to my own sinfulness. And I, and I would say, Lord, this, this is a big task, and I don't know if, if I can do this. And so that leads us to our second thing, and it's this. As followers of Jesus, God calls each of us to a heavenly test. We see there's a heavenly task, but we see here there is a heavenly test. God has said to Moses, uh, now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And uh, Moses has a very human response. And his response is, 
Lord, are you crazy? Right? Like, that's the modern translation. Like, really? All right? And this is a test. And he, he begins to immediately have a crisis of, of doubt. Right? And, and here, here's what those look like. All right? He has, Moses first has a doubt of inability. A doubt of inability. Now, I've put the, we're not going to read all the references, but I'll put the scripture references for you. He has a doubt of inability, which means this. I'm not capable. I'm not capable. But he basically just says, I don't have the capability to do this. Like, I just can't do this. Right? I'm not capable. Right? Um, I, I can remember many, many years ago, um, someone shared with me. They said, listen, whenever God calls you to a task... He is never interested in your ability, but he's interested in your availability. Let me say that again. Whenever God calls you to a task, he is not interested in your ability, but he is interested in your availability. Listen, if you were completely able to do the task, again, uh, you could get all the credit. But when he chooses people like myself and like you who are completely incapable of doing it, then when it gets done, he gets all the glory. Amen? And so uh, the, the, the not being capable, what Moses doesn't understand, is that's a good thing. In fact, you get to the New Testament, and the Bible says that the Lord has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It's, it's an interesting thing when you look at the growth of Christianity around the world. It is, it is still the fastest growing uh, movement in the world. And you look at what's happening in China. I read an article last week that said by 2050, uh, there, there will be more Christians in China than the United States. And that's not just because they have more people. It's because Christianity is spreading that fast. And, and when you look at the history of Christianity and where you see it move and spread, it is often among the poor and the uneducated. Now, why is that? I believe because, as the Bible says, God has chosen, and by the way, no offense, but I would lump us all in that those categories, right? It, it, it's not like, praise God for super smart, brilliant people who love Jesus, but you know what? It, the, those who have reached the nations have just been common folk like you and I. And again, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And, and so uh, uh, we, we see that with some of the things we've been able, by God's Spirit, to do here at Oikos. Like, wow, it, like, Lord, how, how are we even doing this? And the Lord gets all of the glory. So uh, there's a doubt of inability. I'm not capable. But then he says this. There's a, there's a doubt of inadequacy. He says, I'm not a messenger. Like, I'm, I'm not someone to deliver that message, right? Like, he literally says, I wouldn't know what to say. Like, I would not know what to say. Like, I, um, I'm, I'm a bit just not good in circumstances, Lord. You probably don't know this, God, because you don't know me. We just met. Um, but... Um, I'm just not a good, like, with coming up with words. Now, he's not talking about saying the words yet. He's talking about forming the words, right? So he's not talking about my actual ability to speak. We'll get there in a minute. But he's saying, I don't even have the capability to form that kind of conversation in my mind. I don't know if you've ever had this uh, experience before, if you've ever met someone famous, like an athlete or something, or um, if maybe... 
maybe go further back to maybe like primary school or secondary school and you bump into a pretty girl. Um, have you ever had that experience where all of a sudden your brain disconnected from your mouth and you had you lost the ability to say what you wanted to say? You ever, you ever had that? Uh, when, when I was in university, uh, I went to university on the coast of South Carolina, and Hurricane Hugo came through and wiped out Charleston. And so Billy Graham uh, came to Charleston to, to speak. And uh, I don't even remember how it happened, but my university roommate and I got picked to go and be like assistants to, to Billy Graham and to the people there. And I remember when Billy Graham came in the room, and we're talking about a room like the size of the office in there. And it's, I'm, I'm like 19, and it's me and my roommate, and like, like the senator, one of the senators of South Carolina, and some congressmen, and like me and my roommate. And Billy Graham walks in, and, um, and I, I know we've got to say something. And, um, and so I walk up, and I'm like, um, you're a Christian. And he went, yes, son, I am. And I went, cool. And I turned around and walked back and sat down. And my roommate was like, dude, you're an idiot. And, um, and so I'm like, well, you go. My roommate went, he was there shorter than I was. He came back. I went, what did you say? And he went, I said that I'm a Christian. And he said, good. And then I said, cool. And so they like, for the rest of the time, they kept us out of that room. Like we, we were like not in the room anymore, right? My brain just disconnected in that moment. Well, well here is Moses saying, Lord, I'm not a messenger. Like my brain is going to disconnect. Okay. I don't, I don't know what to say to people. Like I'm an ambassador for Jesus. And like, I'm supposed to like talk to people on behalf of God and tell them that, they, they can know God. Like, I, I don't know how to do that. You ever felt that? I feel it every day. Like, I feel it every day. Like, oh, Lord, I don't, what, what am I supposed to say to that, right? Okay, uh, here's another doubt. Um, there's inability, inadequacy, but then inferiority. Inferiority, I'm not good enough. And he says this now in chapter 4, verse 1, where he's basically like, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I? Be like getting an audience with the queen and your job is to talk to her about her salvation. You might feel a bit like, who am I to do that? Like, so what's at the heart of this, by the way, is, is self-esteem. Self-esteem. See, Moses has made the mistake of believing that somehow Pharaoh is better than him. Moses has made the mistake of somehow believing that Pharaoh is better than he is. In the eyes of God, they are no different. In the eyes of God, the heroin addict in Erdington is no different than the Pope in Rome. In the eyes of God, the woman in Handsworth in, in slavery and sex trafficking, she is just as beautiful and precious as the most godly woman in the world. For Jesus came Why? Because God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. But 3.17 says, For he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn the heroin addict or the prostitute. He came to lead them on an exodus and deliver them to freedom. Amen, church? That's who Jesus is. So don't you dare think that somehow you're not good enough 
to speak on God's behalf. Because here's the thing, you're not in your own strength. But to God, you are his child. And he wants to speak through you. There, there was one last doubt that he dealt with. And that was the doubt of infirmity. That was the doubt of infirmity. Uh, he was like, I'm, I'm enabled, you know, I, I don't have the ability, I'm inadequate, I'm inferior. But then infirmity. And we see this in verses 10 through 12. I'm, I'm not physically well enough. I'm not well enough. I can't do it. And so we don't know exactly what the, the problem is. The Hebrew words that are used there about his speech, it seems like maybe he had a stuttering problem, um, but it is a physical problem he had with his speech. Um, and so he's, he's literally saying, God, I know we just met, and you may not know this, but it's not just that I can't think of good things to say, but even if I could think of something good to say, I have a stuttering problem. And I don't know if you've ever had a friend or a family member who stutters, but, but it can be debilitating. It can be debilitating. And I, I can't fathom the challenge of, of, of kind of living with that and, and maybe also the frustration of living with that. Um, has anyone ever seen the King's Speech? It gives a little bit of insight into that, doesn't it? Like the, the king of England, who's so paralyzed with a speech impediment, like even the very thought of just reading something on the radio was paralyzing. And you see the journey he goes on. Well, Moses has the same problem. And he's like, you want me to go in front of the most powerful man in the world, and I don't know what to say, and I stutter. And God says, yes. God says, yes. Can I tell you what? Let's don't forget it. Uh, a heavenly task is always God-sized. And how beautiful it is that the most powerful uh, man in the world, the, the strongest army in the world, is taken down by a stuttering, stammering shepherd who talks to burning bushes. Pretty good, isn't it? That's the God we serve. And, and so there's a heavenly task. There's a heavenly test. A test always comes with a task. And then finally, we see this. As followers of Jesus, God will grow us in our heavenly trust. God will grow us in our heavenly trust. This is what it says. Uh, Moses says, all right, I'll go. And so God says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to raise someone up to, uh, to go with you. Very interesting. You'll see this pattern in all of the Bible. It's, it's, it's fairly rare for someone to do things just completely on their own. I mean, even Jesus had 12 disciples, right? Um, and, and Paul had Silas and Barnabas and Mark. I mean, uh, we kind of always see that God surrounds people with people to do the task. But look what happens when him and Aaron go. And remember, they're, uh, they're brothers. This is what says happened. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And that could have been even more, more intimidating than Pharaoh. It says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. And so it appears that Moses is still struggling. Because Aaron kind of speaks for the two of them. But he, he tells Moses' story. Which, by the way, it's why it's beautiful to, that God gives us church. God gives us family. He gives us brothers and sisters, to help us on the task. 
And so they gather together all the elders of Israel. Aaron tells them everything the Lord has said to Moses. And then look what it says. He also performed the signs before the people. Remember that? You had three of them. You had the sign of the, uh, the staff turning into a snake and then picking the snake up by the tail, right? That, that's pretty amazing. And then you have the water that turns to blood, right? So you have these amazing things. You have the hand that all of a sudden has leprosy. The leprosy is gone. It says they do these things and look at the last three words of that verse. And they what? They believed. So here's, here's what we don't want to miss. Moses and Aaron did exactly what God told them to do. God said, here's your instructions. Step one, stick. Step two, hand. Step three, water. Step four, tell them who I am. They do everything God says, and the people what? They believed. They believed. What would that do to the trust level of Moses and Aaron in the burning bush? Imagine it would go up. Uh, We did what God said, and it worked. That was crazy. Can you imagine them at the pub that night talking about all this? Like, that was nuts. I Like, when you turned it into a stick, I was like, whoa, right? And then, like, it really worked. Isn't that amazing, by the way? When we do what God says, it actually works. When God says forgive someone, it actually heals the relationship. When God says give your stuff away, you actually end up getting more back than you gave. It actually works. When you actually spend time with lonely people, uh, they find joy. It actually works. Is that amazing? When, when, when we speak up on behalf of those who are taken advantage of and those who don't have a voice, when we are salt and light, it actually works. Do you know every modern uh, movement that has ended slavery in the world always started with people who love Jesus? Always. We are powerful when we follow the instructions, have you ever, uh, who's ever built something from Ikea? Yep. It's a brilliant idea to have instructions without words, but I still can't build the thing. Are you with me? I couldn't even figure out the instruction where it shows the little man holding a phone. I'm like, there's not a phone in the box. Like, and Chrissy's like, you dummy, that means you call them and they help, Right. When, when we go off the instructions, when we think, you know what? Have you ever built something from Ikea and you had a bag of bolts left? I remember, uh, son, we never told you this, but when we built Max's bunk bed, we had a bag of leftover stuff. And, and Christy's like, what do we do? And I'm like, I ain't sleeping in it. But you've done all right. So, like, when we don't follow the instructions, bad things can happen. Is that true? Oftentimes when God tells us, well, I'm not going to say us. When God tells me to do things and I don't do them the way he said, I usually make a mess of things. Yeah. Um, so um, here's, here's our heavenly trust then. Last verse. Uh, and it's Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Paul says this. Now all glory to God who is able. Who? God. God is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, for those of us 
who love and follow Jesus. When we follow the instructions, when we come together as family like Moses and Aaron did, and when we do the work, he says God is able through his power to accomplish infinitely more. In other words, it has no beginning and it has no end. Infinitely more than we might ask or think. He can do more through Oikos Community Church when we follow the instructions and when we love one another. He can do more through us than we might infinitely imagine, think, or ask. Amen, church? And I'll just confess, the biggest challenge to that is my unbelief. Is my unbelief. Oh, me of little faith. And so this is the pattern that you're going to see. Um, and you see the, actually this pattern throughout the Old Testament, and it'll carry even into the New Testament. And what you'll see is this. You'll see task, test, and trust. It's a pattern you see throughout. You'll see it, uh, you'll see it in Judges. You'll see it with Elijah. You'll see it with Elisha. You'll see it with Isaiah. You'll see it with Jeremiah. You'll see it with David. You'll see it with Solomon. Uh, You'll see it with Paul. You'll see it with Peter. You'll see it with Ringo. You'll see it with... I was just saying if you're listening. Do you see what I did there? It was a Beatles joke. I'm going to say that again. You're going to laugh. You'll see it with Ringo. Thank you. Right? It's this pattern of task, test, and trust. Task, test, and trust. But here's the thing about the trust. It's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. He gives the task. I have the test, but I have to choose to trust. And there have been some times in my life I've done it, and sometimes I haven't. And God has always taught me. Uh, I've shared with you before about uh, my niece, Hannah. And uh, she was the first... She was the first kid born between me and my sister, so she's the, she's the chosen one. She's the first grandchild, the first niece, you know. And uh, I'll never forget when we got the call. Uh, my sister was pregnant with twins, and uh, I answered the phone, and all I could hear was my sister crying. And I, you know, I said, Debbie, what's, what's going on? And, and she said, well, I've just come back from hospital, and one of the twins has died. And so we, we mourned and we wept. And a few months later, the time came, and Hannah was born. And uh, where the other twin, where her umbilical cord had wrapped around Hannah, anywhere that umbilical cord had wrapped, Hannah had quit, um, had quit growing. And so on one hand, uh, Hannah has no fingers and just a thumb. And on this hand, she only has two fingers, and she only has one full leg, and then one leg stops right about there. And... You know, I can just remember holding her. I was uh, there at hospital when she was born, and I can just remember holding her and just weeping because she was so beautiful, but then holding this baby with, um, with no fingers and one leg and just thinking, like, um, Lord, this is a test that, like, I'm not sure, like, our family's up to this. Like, I, I don't quite uh, get this, and I definitely don't like this. Um, and so God set, particularly my sister and I, uh, and, and obviously her husband and, and all of our family on a journey of test and trust. And are you going to trust me with this? 
and um, and and it have there's been days when I passed the test and I trusted, and I'll admit there have been days when I failed the test and I didn't, um, and then. Um, uh, God has just proven himself faithful over and over. And so this week, my sister sent me a text, and it's a, uh, it's a news article about my niece, Hannah. She's now graduated university, and uh, she has a degree in marketing, and she's beautiful and is amazing. And um, it is her rappelling down uh, with a group of her friends the largest waterfall in, uh, in the East Coast. And it's just this picture of Hannah hanging off the side, rappelling down. And, um, and, uh, and I just began to cry. And the Lord just quietly and lovingly whispered to my heart and said, See, I told you so. It's going to be okay. Now the biggest challenge is I don't like any of her boyfriends, and I'm not afraid to take action and throw them off the waterfall. Amen. Task, test, trust. It's a Moses story. It's your story. It's my story. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you that you call us to heavenly tasks. Lord, we are your hands. We are your feet. We're your eyes, we're your ears. We are the body of Christ. We're ambassadors for you, Jesus. We speak with authority on your behalf. What we is loosed in heaven, we can loose on earth. And what is locked, we can lock. We speak with heavenly authority. And it is a task that is God-sized. And Lord, I would be the first one to put my hand up and say that uh, most days I don't feel able. Most days I, I do feel inferior. Most days I don't feel like I, I'm smart enough or good enough. And Lord, I, I just pray for each of us as we face tests, the test of, of being your people in Erdington, the, the test of uh, ministering through uh, your cafe, the the test of, uh, Lord, going to work and wanting to be salt and light. As, as we face a test of not losing patience with children, Lord, whatever it might be, uh, we pray that we might trust in you. And that you might whisper in our ear, see, I told you so. I've got this. Thank you, Jesus, that when we are at our weakest, you are at your strongest. So whatever test, whatever task we might face this day, may we rest in you knowing that you are able to do more than we could infinitely ever think or ask. We believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you very much for that. I just so helpful, isn't it? So so helpful to 